I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Webby Podcast, where we share the stories of the internet in more than five word speeches. Different strokes. For different folks. I got five on it. <laughs> Teenage girls are the future. Women, look what we did. Here's your host, Webby's executive director, David Michelle Davies. Hey, welcome back. Okay, if you're listening to this, there's a good chance you or your family or friends were among the 5 million people who took to the streets all over the world for the Women's March on January 21st, the day after the inauguration. I personally was at home with my two young sons watching the coverage on TV of all those amazing pink hats and protest signs while my wife marched in D.C. Not only was the Women's March the largest demonstration on a single day in U.S. history, but there were nearly 700 sister marches all over the world, and it all started with one Facebook post. We were so excited to honor the Women's March as our social movement of the year at this year's Webbies, and I'm thrilled to have as our guest today, National Co-Chair Bob Bland and Communications Director Cassidy Finley. We talk about what it was like to organize this massive demonstration in such a short amount of time, the Internet's role in helping to define the movement, and a lot more. Here's our conversation. Maybe we start off with Bob and tell us a bit about you know, like sort of the, or, you know, I feel like startups have like this origin story. I don't know if marches have an origin story, but how did the march or the movement get started? Well, the Women's March sure does have an origin story. And um, it was pretty amazing to wake up the day after the election to this completely new world. Um, I, I know everybody was on the internet heartbroken and absolutely devastated by what had happened on November 9th. And they, um, a lot of us who had been up to the election working to ensure that Trump did not become president, were especially uh, heartbroken and uh, wanted to make a difference and see if there was a way that we could stand up and fight back to... Uh, the most insane thing happening in our lifetimes. And uh, for me, I have a a daughter who's six named Penny who was very aware of what had happened. And uh, even the night before, she had told me, you know, tell Hillary Clinton I'm sorry. And she, uh, for her, and then also for, at that time, my unborn child, I was nine months pregnant at the time, I felt compelled to do something about it. And I had had this group online that had been formed out of the nasty woman t-shirt that had gone viral, which was also an internet phenomena. Yeah, you were the person who who uh, sort of made that t-shirt and I was and one it. of them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there, there was several that went viral. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
mine was definitely one of them. You woke up the morning yeah. after the election, and you had you had, at this point you had a, I would just a group of followers yeah. that were probably more than you had had before because of the work you've done with the t-shirts and stuff like that. I right? had yeah. no internet following before yeah. personally. Yeah. Uh, my company, Manufacturing New York, did. Right. But for myself uh, personally, it was just friends and family up until sure. the Nasty Women t-shirt and. Uh, yeah, but now having thousands of followers, I was able to, you know, say like, hey, you know, we got to do something. And so I started this Facebook page and it just really came to me all at once. I was like, we should march on Washington inauguration weekend, you know, and little did I know that uh, Teresa Shook in Hawaii, who, uh, a grandmother, a lawyer, uh, she had come up with the same idea the night before. And so within hours, because of the internet, we were connected together. One of my friends called me up and said, hey, check this out. And we were able to connect over Facebook Messenger and, uh, you know, just combine our pages and combine our efforts. And it was really an incredible, unique thing that could only happen over social media. Yeah. Uh, when, um, Cassidy, when did you get involved? So... Uh, the, the next part of this story is really like, you know, when uh, Bob reached out to uh, Tamika Mallory and Carmen Perez and Linda Sarsour. Um, and so I was at, at that first meeting. Um, and I think it, it was really important that, you know, Bob is a white woman, Teresa is a white woman. Yeah. Um, and this election really, you know, exposed a lot uh, in terms of our need in this society to like be more intentional uh, about race and, and facing it. Um, me personally, I was doing like kind of white accountability from a racial justice framework before the election and trying to get people to really like talk to their friend, their friends and family who are like Trump supporters and not really getting, you know, people were kind of complacent, didn't really think that this was the, um, you know, the moment or, you know, but then after the election, everybody was calling me, right? So what, can you just back up? What it, can you just put a little context around white accountability? Yeah. So I mean, um, talking to white folks, talking to white folks about racism, basically, mm. um, because it's it's our issue that we need to deal with, right? Um, and like I said, it was something that you know people before the election when I would say it, they think it's cool, but like after the election, they're like, uh, actually, we understand now. So. Um, that while that's heartening, you know, we have the statistics that, you know, like 90-some percent of black women vote, voted for Hillary and, you know, 53% uh, of the white women who voted voted for Trump. So um, it was, you know, just, again, like we're in this, I feel like the Trump uh, election really showed our, the this like glaring uh, inability to deal with this issue. Um, and so Bob was very intentional about immediately reaching out to women of color uh, who could be part of this. But the reason why I was intentional about it was another incredible aspect of social media, which is that you're receiving live feedback yeah. to your organizing efforts. And that's something that in marches in the past, they haven't necessarily had that ability to have total strangers live saying, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this, I want this. And so for me, as I would describe myself before the election as not woke, mm -hmm. you know, it, it wasn't uh, something that when I said that I wanted us all to stand in unity together and... Um, to specifically call out 
the xenophobia and the racism and the bigotry that candidate Trump had shown. Um, I wasn't thinking about it from a completely intersectional focus that um, I actually learned a ton about, uh, not just from Cassidy, but also from Tamika, from Linda, from Carmen, from Paola Mendoza, so many other incredible women that I met through this process. And um, a lot of that learning happened online by watching the comments roll in as we had tens of thousands of people saying they were going and then hundreds of thousands. Uh, we also started having thousands of direct messages and we had um, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of comments. Mm -hmm. And uh, that sort of live feedback was really what shaped uh, the march a lot of times when there was something, an issue area where we didn't know anything about. Like, for instance, if uh, people with disabilities had mm -hmm. some certain concerns, they were able to form a caucus online and come together and organize around ensuring that our march was the most accessible in history, which actually is, is kind of sad that it was because it, it wasn't every, it, it was great, but there's so much more to be done. Were you taken aback, shocked, surprised? Like, I just imagine yeah. you described yourself as not woke, right? That's it was your, super overwhelming. Were you, yeah, yeah, what was that like to get all that feedback? You were probably thinking you were doing this great thing and you're so excited yeah. about it and enthusiastic. And then there's this other, you know, how, what, can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, I, I mean, it, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm a CEO of a company. I've uh, helped a lot of startups form. I've done a lot of speaking around the world. And so it's not like I wasn't used to being in public. It wasn't, you know, I've been on TV before. I've been in the media a lot. So uh, it wasn't as startling as for some of our organizers who were yoga teachers or, or you know, just stay-at-home folks or, you know, like, like there were some people who were literally jumping into organizing from nothing. And that those are the bravest folks who came in is from nothing, understanding that they would need to have an incredible learning curve really quickly. But for myself, it, it was, yeah, it was mind-blowing, the, especially the first 72 hours or so was the steepest learning curve of my life. And doing it nine months pregnant about to have a baby um, was so incredibly challenging for me, but in a way that changed my life and improved my life forever, where now I am able to uh, do something so meaningful for people and, and from a perspective where I know I'm going to be learning more every day for the rest of my life about raising my own consciousness and the consciousness of others around things like racial justice. But... Um, at the time, it was just a mix of like, oh, my God, like, wow, there's so much, um, it, you know, it felt like anger coming at me. But but really what it was is that we're, you know, we're in systems of such oppression that have been going on for so long without acknowledgement from white folks like myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that all of that anger was really bubbling to the surface when we were organizing the march. And your co and so your co-chairs actually people might not know this, but it's not like you were a group of friends who decided to do this or had worked. I know some of you had worked together in the past, but I didn't know anyone. Yeah, generally, you were working. Almost everybody was working with each other for the first time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, I mean, there was a, a small group um, that had you know been in the movement and had been organizing together, but um, by and large, like Bob said, it was a lot of people who were. Uh, going from the sidelines to just like jumping right in the deep end and like throwing themselves in there. Um, 
And so there's a lot of, of course, there's a, like a lot of mess that happens with that, but it's all like a loving, yeah. <laughs> a loving mess. Um, and just, you know, everybody felt really called to have to do something in this moment, you know. I just want to say that having it be women-led, I, I truly don't feel that the march would have been a success if it wasn't for that incredibly loving, collaborative experience that we had as women together. And I think that that was the competitive advantage that this march had that made it the largest mass mobilization in U.S. history was because women were not just included, they were at the forefront. Yeah. And I just think it's just to like put a finer point on it here. It's it just seems like an incredibly challenging like couple of weeks, right, where you're reacting to this election. um, You're starting something you're really excited about. You're suddenly working with people you've never worked with before you're jumping into topics and conversations and uh you know lines of thought that have decades and decades and decades of history to them all the while trying to like get permits and do uh-huh. like regular <laughs> stuff you're the and it's Cassidy, Thanksgiving yeah. and then it's yeah. Yeah. yeah oh yeah <laughs> and Cassidy you're the director of communications so I imagine you're like at the forefront of dealing with all the different discussions that are happening on the internet and in the press around all of this at the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, this this uh, conversation around uh, racial justice was one of the first ones that we had to have, um, but certainly not the last one. You know, it was a lot of bridges that had to be built. You know, people want to... It's easy for those of us who have a lot of privilege in society to think of unity as just like a kumbaya thing. Like, why don't we just all come together and that'd be really cool. But the way that we do that is actually to like reach out and build bridges with people who are experiencing a lot of uh, marginalization and oppression at the hands of the systems that our society has created. You know, Facebook is, like Bob said, you get instant feedback. So it's like it enables organizing in new ways because people can connect so quickly and, you know, tens of thousands of people can RSVP to a page in 24 hours. Um, But at the same time, like, everybody's thoughts and opinions are, like, right there on the comments, right? So it's, you see, like, the whole gamut of how people are reacting. Um, And some of it's really nasty, right? Like, some of it's the exactly the stuff that we're trying to deal with, so. And we still see that where, like, for instance, with... um one of our co-chairs, Linda Sarzor, um, she has been attacked on social media on Twitter. And um, there's a campaign called I Stand with Linda because we, um, we've we had to work and fight both on the ground and online for her so much since the march. So it's something where um, activism online and then on the ground, combining those two things, it's incredible because you can have viral rapid response to things like, for instance, the anti-Muslim ban protests, you know, that could not have happened without social media. But then at the... Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Same time, uh, you have folks getting death threats online and uh, having, you know, sometimes it does prevent them from doing the good work they've been doing for years. You talked about reaching out, um, but the other thing is, and we talked about the march in the U.S., but... This is actually a global phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your site counts nearly 700 sister marches. How did that come to be? So how did, is that purposeful, or does it was that people like saying we want to have a march too, or how did that how did that start? I think that's actually one of the things when people ask us how Women's March has contributed to other marches since. The sister march concept is actually one of the biggest value adds, having this distributed network of marches all over the country and the world. There was 673 sister marches. Definitely impacted our numbers because, for instance, in uh, Washington, D.C., we had 1.2 million people march, but total around the world, it was at least 5 million. And the thing about that is, is it was totally organic. And this was something that organizers came up with on their own because what we identified pretty early on when, uh, you know, Amtrak sold out within 24 hours, a lot of flight routes were selling out within 24 hours, the um, bus systems were completely overwhelmed. So a lot of organizers started saying, hey, uh, why don't we march here? Right. And that's, um, were you worried I, I love at the first, organic nature. Were you worried this. at all that it was going to dilute the amount of people who were in D.C. or, or no? I, I, this Didn't is matter. a grassroots movement, yeah. and it has been fantastic to, I would never take away the agency of people to organize locally. Yeah. 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 So, but for me as communications director, it did make me want to have a heart (laughs) attack because then it's like all of these other marches and they all. You were communicating about one march and and now there's 700 you're talking about. Exactly. So I kind of wanted to die and I was like having panic attacks every day. But, um, like, what really impacted me, I'm from like a very rural area of Southwest Virginia. And uh, to see people marching in these, like, real small towns where, like, people don't even let their neighbors know their politics, right? Like, it's just you don't talk about it. Um, but but people, like, you know, in towns of 300 went and had, like, a 12-person march. And that's amazing. Like, that's, to me, more radical than a million people in D.C. Mm-hmm. And did it, were the tool like did you, were the tools that you created or used online? Did those really support that type of stuff, or is this really just people like posting their own Facebook pages? Did you feel like you were driving these? It was a work in progress yeah. the entire time because uh, keep in mind we never intended any of this to happen at all. It was right. all just that it it started on November 9th. Yeah. So um, we had to, it was basically the same thing that entrepreneurs we usually do, which is that we're building our bridge on the way down. <laughs> so that was pretty much what was happening where we were building the systems and then developing them and improving mm-hmm. on them as we got closer to the march. Yeah. I mean, we were definitely trying to like lead the narrative, but like we certainly weren't um, like distributing materials for people to That's use right. or like. It wasn't like, a march kit. No. Right. <laughs> 
Tell us a bit about what goes into putting a march on of this size and scope. So we're talking a little bit about the online stuff, but what about just the actual nuts and bolts of like there's a million people who are going to be in D.C. on a Saturday? What's that like? What does one do? You have to get permits and I mean. There is so much. Our head of logistics, I'm pretty sure that she's actually superwoman because it's, you know, so this was the whole thing with the permitting Thing, right. So I had to continue to answer questions about does the women's march have a permit? Does the women's march have a permit? But the it's amazing permit, that there's a that like you have to get a permit, right? It's such a it's such a like weird it, gatekeeper. It, it thing. was definitely like some. Hey, we have a million people. You need a permit. It you made know, us wonder if there was like some like misogyny like yeah. layered in that because like why do you keep on asking <laughs> us like if we're gonna have permission? To march, like we don't actually don't need permission, right. like yeah, yeah. it's First Amendment. Sure. But um, yeah, Janae Ingram, our head of logistics, she had planned marches previously, uh-huh. and so she told us up front at the beginning that we didn't need a permit, but we applied for it immediately, right? Anyway, and she worked in a concert with 12 agencies in the city to make sure that it all went smoothly, which is why it went as it smoothly as it did. Yeah. But, yeah, she said the whole time that she had never gotten these sort of questions for other marches that she had planned. Hmm. Yeah. So the permit is not like a piece of paper. It's like all of these logistics. You got to have like porta potties and bike racks and plans for where the wheelchairs will enter and medical tents and uh, what. Well, and then there's other stuff that you don't need for the permit, but there's like jumbotrons and um, speakers so that people who are not right by the stage can or still... Or the Wi-Fi. We weren't able to broadcast <laughs> out because there were so many people in the city that day that we all lost cell service immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so you yeah. never think about those things before you do it. No, of course. And and at the same time, you also, I mean, none of this is free, right? No. <laughs> well, that that's a whole nother piece, which is that... Um, I think the crowdfunding that we did around this march was really historic because typically marches like this would there would be a lot of big donors sure. that would be involved and um Fox News certainly tried to claim all sorts of things about where the money was coming from. George Soros, I'm sure, was yeah, it was two hundred ninety-four million dollars from George Soros. I remember this obviously needed to pay the fifteen hundred dollars per head for each of the protesters, but you know, which was another Fox News like alternative fact, and it was. yeah, it was hilarious to see that stuff out because for us on the back end, we were just setting up. Uh, crowdfunding platforms and merchandise platforms, and that actually funded ninety percent of wow. the logistical costs. And of course, Did we you, were can really. Can you say how much you raised? We were able to cover our costs. Okay, which was amazing, and it couldn't have happened without all of the marchers who were so supportive. And then also, it was amazing to watch us replicate those platforms throughout the sister marches to ensure that they had what they needed. Because the other thing we didn't want with this march was for it to be only accessible to uh, people of a certain economic class. Right. And we wanted to ensure that anyone of any socioeconomic status was able to march. So that was also an, another benefit of these crowdfunding platforms and then also a benefit of having the sister marches more locally. Right. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people commented on, we've talked about how the the Women's March was a big internet-driven event, um, but there was also a lot of, like, artistic collaborations, and specifically I'm thinking about, like, the Pink Hats and the song I Can't Keep Quiet. 
which was learned by a group of mostly strangers on Skype, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, like you said, both of those were also viral phenomenon. Like, we didn't have anything to do with the hats. Um, we never, like, reposted them or anything. But Did you know that was – I mean, I, I think when I turned on the TV and there was, like, photos of – or those on the Internet, and I, there was, like, photos suddenly of, like, airplanes with, like, everyone with pink hats. It was – it was, you know, we, like we knew that people amazing, were, like, but it was, I had no idea that was coming, you know, it seemed like a huge surprise. Yeah. So we had heard that all these women were knitting all these hats, but I certainly didn't anticipate showing up and seeing a sea of pink. Yeah. It, the most amazing part of the day of the march for um, several of us as organizers was we were right at third and independence, right by the Capitol. And there's a hill right next to the Capitol. And seeing a sea of people come down that hill, all of a sudden, we were worried, oh, are people going to show up? Are they not? Like, how many people are going to be there? And then suddenly at 10 a.m. on the dot to see them just completely come over the hill in a sea of pink like that was something that I don't think any of us will ever forget. And that's the great thing is that people, from a creative resistance standpoint, they came up with all sorts of ideas, and they felt free to express themselves. Like Milk with the, with the song, I Can't Keep Quiet, I, I still sing it. I, I love it. I was inspired by it, you yeah. know? And so the fact that we can inspire each other, and it doesn't matter whether you were an organizer or just a participant, you know, all the signs that came out of it. Uh, we need the creative I mean, the resistance. the signs in themselves were yeah, like aren't a, they beautiful? their own independent art form. I mean, it was sort of like Absolutely. A, yeah. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, T-shirts, like uh, all of it. it. It's all been so great and so inspiring. Um, so, And the creative resistance keeps on going. So th- that was the other wonderful thing about January 21st is it was really just the kickoff of the movement. Yeah. And Cassidy, talk a bit about you also worked with uh, a bunch of, like, artists and you know I, I i feel like the word celebrity is not really the right word because it wasn't i don't think you work with them because they were just famous but people who have had like big audiences and have huge impact in the world generally and those people really turned out women turned out mm-hmm. um did that help in the sort of like overall you know messaging about what this was about and getting press to pay attention to it or yeah for sure i mean that's that's People with big platforms get lots of eyes on things. And so certainly, you know, we we wanted to engage the, the artistic community in a very intentional way um, and particularly give them inroads to, um, you know, we were trying to popularize this idea of intersectional feminism, right, which is a very dense and academic concept. Um, and artists are people who can take things like that and turn them into stuff that we just kind of respond to in this emotional way that doesn't need like a full page of text to explain it, what it is or what it really means, you know? Um, so we're definitely intentional to like engage artists that um, are able to communicate that. And like Janelle Monet is one who's such a good example. Like she's able to um, create art that makes us think about like p- the impact of police brutality on like black mothers and um, and like represent the trans community and things like that. Um, and she does it so beautifully through art. Bob, we talked a bit about 
intersectionality at the top, but I don't think we really got like into a definition of what it is or why it's important or where you think it is now. Is that something you could you could talk about? And and like, was the do you feel like the march was able to explain that to people or move that forward? Well, it's certainly intersectionality is something that I'm still learning about every day because, in truth, before the march, I didn't know a whole lot about it. Yeah, and I, that's okay, and that's something that we want first-time activists and organizers who woke up during the Women's March and participated to know is that exploring all of the different intersections of our identities is a lifelong journey and something that will raise consciousness over time. One of the concepts there is that women aren't just women, right? Is that, well, is, yeah, so, you, so basically um, our, our liberation is bound in one another's. So... Women are not a monolith. We have intersecting identities. So while I may be a white woman, I'm also a mother. I'm also a victim of domestic violence. You know, I'm also, uh, you know, I, I have a daughter with a disability. You know, there's all these different ways that we can interact with the world around us and, and shared ways that we can work together for our mutual liberation. And um, the really important thing that we're trying to do by focusing on intersectional feminism is, first of all, uh, the sins of the past is that um, white feminism really did sideline a lot of the people of color, the trans women, many of the people that really have added so much value and so much knowledge and so much thought to these movements over time, uh, they've been sidelined. And that's a problem. So by centering people of color as the leadership of the march and everything that we're doing after the march, it allows us to make sure that their issues are also centered in a way that raises the consciousness of the entire group so that we can all work together. So, for instance, for myself, just because I'm white doesn't mean I shouldn't be marching for black lives. Because as a mother, I couldn't bear the loss of a child, nor do I really have to worry about that as a white woman. So I need to be there to stand in solidarity with black mothers who are just trying to protect their children. Bob Land, National Co-Chair for the Women's March, Cassidy Finley, Director of Communications for the Women's March. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Webby Podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, and thanks to all the hundreds and hundreds of women who have been organizing all across the nation. Thank you. Thanks so much to Bob and Cassidy for joining us today and for the great work you're doing. Keep up with actions and resources from the Women's March by visiting womensmarch.com. You can also find them on Twitter at Women's March. Our editorial director is Nicole Ferraro. Research and writing by Michael Charbonneau. Music is Straight West by Casket Club. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.